This past Wednesday, um, we moved Libby in at Valparaiso University. And, uh, um, you know, it's about a five-hour drive to get there. And one of the things that my family does when we travel is we listen to books. And, and partly that's because Chris is a teacher, and uh, she assigns summer reading to the kids. And one of the things that she always does, every, she reads the same books every summer because she assigned them to her students. And, uh, and one of those books is Treasure Island. Have you read Treasure Island? Have you seen the movie at least? Okay, that's your homework. Um, read Treasure Island or at least go see, not Treasure Planet. That's a whole different thing. Um, same story, just different setting. But uh, um, excellent book. But there's a scene in the book where we meet the captain of the ship for the first time, Captain Alexander Smollett. And a um, little bit of setting. This You're, you're talking about um, England, kind of maybe late 1700s, early 1800s. You've got you know, ships, pirates, all that fun stuff. And, uh, and so you're thinking a sailing crew. And, um, um, and, and you're also thinking royalty. And so there's a squire, kind of a, a noble who has you know, put forward the money for this expedition. And he's meeting this captain in his quarters. And uh, the conversation goes something like this. Well, Captain Smollett, what have you to say? All well, I hope, all shipshape and seaworthy? Well, sir, said the captain, better speak plain, I believe, even at the risk of offense. I don't like this cruise. I don't like the men, and I don't like my officer. That's short and sweet. And in that same spirit, I will speak plainly, even at the risk of offense. I don't like this text. I don't like this account, and I don't like the whole look of this gospel lesson. And that's short and sweet. Except that this is Jesus that we're talking about here. And and this is God's word. And at the end of the day, It doesn't matter what I like or how I feel about these events. And because this is Jesus, and because we know that Jesus died to pay for our sins, because we know that he is the embodiment of God's love, we can be sure that that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Now, I would love to say that I can explain everything that's happening in this text to you in such a way that when we're done, we would just say, oh, I've just misunderstood what was said there. I've seen that done over and over again, where people try to soften what Jesus was saying. Uh, He was just joking. Look at the text. Is there anything in there that makes you say, oh, that's a joke? No. No. Oh, there's this thing in there where you can tell because of the Greek that, that it's not just a dog. It's a little dog. It's, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, an affectionate word. I'm sorry. You are pulling at straws if you're trying to explain this text like that. And at the end of the day, the more I think about this text, the more Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9 come to mind for me, which says... For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, let me ask this. Is it okay if Jesus does something that makes us uncomfortable? Is it okay if he boggles our minds and maybe leaves us a little bit confused sometimes? It's not that there aren't things that we can't grab onto here, because there are, like the context. You hear that word out of my mouth a lot, don't you? Context. 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 It it matters. Just before Jesus was in a conflict with the, uh, the Pharisees about what it means to be clean and what it means to be defiled. It was so bad, this conversation that Jesus had with, with the, the Pharisees, it was so bad that his disciples came to him and said, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? Jesus offended people. which Jesus replied, and this is, this is my personal paraphrase, all right? Who cares? Who cares what the Pharisees think or if they, were, if they were offended by something? They don't know anything about anything. And then the disciples asked Jesus to explain, you know, and, and, and he's just exasperated with them. Don't you get it? Don't you understand that it's not touching things that make you unclean? It's not what you eat. It's what comes out of you. Your sin is what defiles you. It's what makes you unclean. It's what makes you unworthy. And so Jesus leaves. And he and the disciples go to Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon, when you read those in a gospel lesson... There's history here. Tyre and Sidon is the place, it's the home of the Old Testament queen Jezebel. Now, you may or may not know who Jezebel was, but if a woman is called Jezebel, is that usually a compliment? No. You know why? Because Queen Jezebel was a horrible person. And she was a wicked queen who led God's people astray into some of the worst religious practices of the Canaanites, the people who inhabited the land before Israel. So um, when I say worst religious practices, think temple prostitution. Think oppression. Think human sacrifice, particularly of children. Tyre and Sidon. That all has that context involved with it. And then this woman comes who is a Canaanite woman. She is a descendant of the same wicked people that Jezebel came from. How should Jesus respond to her? She pleads for her daughter. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She's an outsider, and she's using insider language. She calls him son of David. This is a Jewish title for the Messiah. 
This is what we would call today cultural appropriation. She's trying to, trying to make an end around here to get, get what she needs from Jesus. And her using those words, those words on her lips would have been offensive. If anyone is unclean, if anyone is unworthy, if anyone is defiled by the standards of the Pharisees, it is this woman whose response to her would basically be, you know what, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And if you worship false gods, you're going to deal with the demonic. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't reply a single word. Let me pause on that. When you pray, do you ever feel like God isn't listening? That he isn't responding? Do you ever feel like David did in Psalm 13? Where he, he, he writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I think there's an interesting parallel here to what the woman is experiencing, what David experienced, and what you experience sometimes in your prayer. And the disciples, they're watching this, and I'm guessing that they're probably kind of confused because they've seen Jesus be compassionate and caring to all kinds of people, not just Jewish people, not just clean people. And they urged Jesus to send her away. Now, when it says that they wanted Jesus to send her away, the way that I usually hear this interpreted is like, geez, Louise, get rid of her. Just tell her to go away. But the word that's actually used there doesn't necessarily mean send her away without giving her what she wants. In fact, it very much can mean just do what she's asking so that she'll go away. And just for, for now, grant me that, that that's what the disciples are saying. Heal the daughter, give her what she wants so she'll stop bothering us. Now, I'm not saying this is loving. I'm not saying that the disciples have got this, you know, that they're in the right. It's not compassionate. But just grant me that they want Jesus to you know, do the thing. And then move on. And Jesus responds. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Have you noticed that he hasn't even spoken to the woman yet? She's defiled. But she plants herself in front of him. Kneels down. Lord, help me. And it makes me think of Psalm 13 again. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Because if, if I were that woman, my faith would be shaking. 
And I don't know that I would have put myself in front of Jesus at that point. And I wonder sometimes how often we give up on our prayers. Because we're like, well, he's not listening. But she sticks after it. She, she stays chasing after him. And it gets worse. Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Calling a woman a dog is an insult in any and every culture that I know of. And it's an even greater insult in this culture. You know, we keep dogs as pets. We love them sometimes. They saw dogs as scavengers. They ate corpses. They lapped up Jezebel's blood after she died. This is a tense interchange. How will the woman respond to this rebuff? She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And I think Jesus' whole demeanor changed with those words as he responds, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The woman is defiled. She knows it. She has no rights. She's like a dog that that hopes for scraps that would fall from the master's table. Her only hope is Jesus' mercy. His compassion. And she takes hold of that mercy. Even when it's not being offered. Simply because she's heard about who this Jesus is and what he's done and what he's like. And she just runs onto that mercy. That's who he is. And she receives compassion by faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Because she's not seeing it in that moment. And sometimes we go through life and we don't see it either. But we cling to those promises. Because, again, back to Psalm 13, it says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He still hasn't seen it, but he says, I'm going to trust and I'm going to see it because this is who you are. This is who you have promised to be. This is who we have experienced you to be in the cross and in your salvation. And by faith, this woman, she received Jesus' grace. And she went home to a healed daughter. And I would be willing to bet that the end of Psalm 13 fits nicely with the feelings that she had. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So how about you? Can you relate to this woman crying out in prayer, wondering if you've been heard, but trusting God's word 
and his promises? Have you stood in that place knowing you are unworthy, sinful, defiled, even as you lift up your eyes to heaven in hope of God's mercy? Have you stood before Jesus, all your merits, all the good stuff you've ever done, just ripped away, clinging only to the promise that he loves you, that he's come for sinners to seek and to save the lost. Think on that. If Jesus has come for sinners and you're hoping that he came for you, you're probably implying that you're a sinner. And if you're hoping that Jesus is looking for you and he came to seek and to save the lost, there's a confession in that, isn't there? That you are lost without him. Are you hoping that he came to raise the dead? Because that probably means that if you're hoping he's raising you, that you are dead and trespasses and sins apart from him. Have you reached out in prayer, hoping just for crumbs to fall from the master's table? But here's the thing about crumbs that fall from God's table. Jesus took five little loaves of bread and two fish and fed how many? 5,000 men plus women and children. A few verses after this account, he's going to take seven loaves and a few small fish and feed a crowd of 4,000 men plus women and children. God's crumbs are potent, life-giving food. And in a few moments here, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And outwardly, it doesn't look like much. Crumbs. It's a tiny wafer. It's barely bread. Got a sip of wine here. Barely a taste. But when you do eat this crumb and get that drop, heaven touches earth. God touches you. And your sins are forgiven. And you are healed of your trespasses with this eternal heavenly food. The body and blood of the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. What irony that such a precious gift should come to us in such tasteless bread and the cheapest wine we could find. But we trust Jesus' word. This is my body. This is my blood. This is for you. And we receive it from the master's table with the word. Be it done for you as you desire. Your sin is forgiven. Be healed and live. 
So no, I don't like this reading. I want to be worthy of the gift, but I'm not. What about you? But Jesus is compassionate and we cling to those promises by faith. And in the end, you know what? You are going to see his salvation. Amen.